1: Welcome back to the Paddle and Fin Podcast Network. We're brought to you by Pelican Built Tough. For all situations, go to pelican.com. Yak Gadget. For all your fine kayak fishing accessory needs, go to yakgadget.com. Eastport Marina on the beautiful shores of Dale Hollow Lake. For all your lodging, kayaking, and fishing needs, go to eastport.info. Now, let's get this show started.
2: Welcome back, everyone. Your host, Brad Hurlbus. And on this episode of Feather and Fur, we have Perry Seitzinger in. So we'll bring him in right away. Welcome to the show,
3: Perry. Hi, Brad. Thanks for having me.
2: Always love bringing on a fellow grouse hunter. Um, I Know all my listeners are probably going to be like, Really, another grouse episode? But it's what's most near and dear to my heart, so there. I mean, that comes through quite often. It's real easy to talk about, talk about those little timber rockets. So, thanks for coming on. Um, I like to start my shows the same way every time and talking about how you got into the outdoors, like how you started hunting. So, did you grow up in a hunting family,
3: sort of? Um, dad started hunting when he was about um in his in his mid-30s and so that was something that was new to him but immediately appealed to me i had i had done quite a bit of fishing prior to that and um but uh dad jumped in through uh, a gentleman he met through church actually invited him and said hey i i like i like grouse hunting and hey would you come tag along with me and it wasn't long before there were shotguns and dogs and I was tagging along with them so uh, you know how that goes so you just start uh, if I'll, I'll put out a caution there if you're gonna get into grouse hunting be prepared to go down a rabbit hole
2: it is a rabbit hole it's a fun rabbit hole but you always know when someone gets serious when they get a bird dog like I feel like that's the tipping point like once they get their own bird dog it's just downhill from there and it's just a never like at that point you're hooked for life
3: it, it's absolutely true i mean the dog side of it is what really makes it for a lot of us that's that's the real connection mm-hmm. for us and dad wasted no time i think it was a year after he started hunting that he got our first bird dog and that would have been about 35 years ago and, um brought our first Brittany into the family and we've had britney's ever since so
2: Brittany household, I like it. I like it. I actually drove to West Virginia to rescue a Britney for my uh, oldest nephew. Actually, we drove all the way to West Virginia and picked up a dog. He wound up naming it Oakley. <laughs> nice, <laughs> nice. But yeah, that was a fun little dog. I like Britneys. Um, I've hunted over Britneys before. They're a great little. They're a great breed. They really are.
3: And you have a Griff, don't you? I do. I and do. I, I've seen Griff's, you know, on hunt tests, but I don't think I think that's one of the breeds I haven't gotten the opportunity to hunt over
2: mine's a little crazy um mine's a rescue i I rehomed her at six so she hunts well uh i see what she could have been had i had her at a puppy yeah i would consider getting a puppy but she doesn't do well around other dogs unless it's in a hunting scenario and even then sometimes it doesn't work out real hot like she's just not really good socially. She doesn't have good social skills with other dogs. So she is not what I would recommend as being your, like your first intro to a grift. I'd say, if you wanted to hunt over here, you're always welcome to come out with me, but you're going to want to take her hunting with a grain of salt. She's
3: good for you. All that starts early for him, but you got her out there doing what uh, she was meant to do. And that's, you know, that's what's important in the end. So
2: she loves it. She really does. I mean, now, the home she came from, she did start hunting. like he was a hunter for the first year of her life, year and a half. His family situation changed. He wound up moving to a state different state. They didn't he went from New York to somewhere down south, and he just wasn't getting her out, and he realized with his work hours he just didn't have she she just wasn't happy. So I commend him for recognizing that he wasn't giving what the dog needed also,
3: yeah, absolutely. It goes both ways, doesn't it? It does. So she's a great little dog.
2: I love her that's crazy. I mean, it's just crazy how much a dog like just embeds themselves into your life.
3: Yeah. They're a, a key role of, of our families. I know they always have been, have been here. I mean, they, they get everything they need and, and then some, and sometimes I'm told I'll give them more attention than I do my family. So <laughs> <laughs> I think if you've had dogs, I even, you've, you've been there too. So,
2: oh yeah. I mean, it's funny. Like, uh, I've seen some Instagram reels or TikToks go around to how I talk to my dog versus how I talk to like my significant other. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's quite funny. It is definitely quite funny because it's so true. Like it hits so close to home. Like, like I'm never cranky with my dog like I can be with my wife or vice versa. It's just always like, oh, who's a good girl? And it's just like I don't ever talk that nicely to anybody else in my life
3: (laughs) well and the key thing is is they never the dogs never talk back so you know they 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 don't ever talk back so that is true
2: so how many britneys do you have right now then
3: right now i have two i have a uh uh, she's gonna be april 4th she'll be six years old female and then i have her her son um, who is a year and a half old so the female is her name is Sawyer and the uh, younger male his name is Tank and uh, funny story about about his name we were talking about you know naming him and this is a litter we had obviously but um, we were talking about naming him as a family and I asked my son what he wanted to name him and he said, "Tank Meatball Destroyer." So um, that 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 is his registered name, believe it or not. It's it was too good not to not to put on paper. So and that's, it fits and it fits him perfectly too. So
2: that's awesome, Tank Meatball Destroyer. Yeah. Love it. Yeah, <laughs> just a big meatball of a dog. Love and it, he,
3: and he is for Brittany. He's on the big side. He's big bone, muscular. Just a just a stout dog he runs he runs hard and big and um and uh just just uh just a knucklehead type of personality just always happy and loves other dogs and just you know it just fits him perfectly so i'm glad we made that choice
2: that's awesome that it it just brings the family more into it right because now your son has a little more reason to feed the dog right when he named the dog (laughs)
3: Yeah, absolutely. You know, he's just getting into uh, 4-H obedience and showmanship with him. Um, you know, that, that litter, I can't tell you, that that, that litter of pups um, came during, during COVID stuff. And timing-wise, it couldn't have been more perfect uh, for a family activity. It gave us something to bond around every day. You know, we have all those chores that come along with having a litter of pups and um, you know the routines and the feeding and the weighing them and you know getting them out to potty and the whole nine yards it just was great for a uh, for family bonding
2: that's awesome kind of and what a way to break up the whole don't go anywhere stay at home this that another thing when covid first came out because no one knew it at that point everything was so confusing because nobody really knew and it was these just utmost like oh, let's make it the tightest regulations possible so they actually have a good reason to stay home, even because of all these pups and the and the care they need and everything else. I mean, that's just great timing.
3: Yeah, it just brought us a, a tremendous amount of joy. It really, really did. It was a good decision looking back. We were nervous about it. Um, that's only the second litter of Britneys we've ever bred. Otherwise, we've always bought from a breeder. And um, I remember dad having a litter of Brits when I was young. And we had that, that litter was actually 12. Um, And so we had to rotate dogs, pups in and out and hand feed them and stuff. And that, you know, I was probably, I don't know, nine, 10 years old, maybe a little bit older than that when that happened. Um, And that just made a huge, huge impression on me, you know, seeing the whole birthing process and how to take care of those pups. And I mean, it's just it, it it really molded me as as a as a bird dog guy and always wanting to have a Brit in, in the house. So
2: that's awesome. It's 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 also kind of I mean, it's cool that you're carrying on those traditions of being a Brit fan, growing up with the Brits, your dad doing Brits, and you're staying with Brits. And I'm willing to bet there's probably a good chance if your son continues on to hunting, he'll stay a Britney guy. It's just kind of one of those cool traditions that you're, you're continuing to pass along.
3: Yeah, he can choose to do what he wants to do, but that would be my hope. I'm big on legacy stuff. I, I try to think about that stuff and, um, and, and, and try to leave similar, similar legacies that I've been given and, and, and as well as opportunities. So that, I think that's really important to, to share the history in the past and where things came from and, and how, how you got where you are. So
2: I agree 100%. Um, I didn't grow up in a hunting home. I took it on myself in my early twenties. I wound up meeting a really good friend who has, I've done grouse camp with. I think this is the thirteenth year coming up this fall. So I mean, we've got some years in now. Uh, but his father was a big grouse hunter, and he grew up deer hunting and then walking the woods during archery season with his dad. Then also grouse hunting. So his dad kind of took me under his wing as well, and I learned a lot from him. And we kind of try to carry on those traditions that his dad had. And well, he my dad had passed already at that point. Um, it was cool that be like, was, he's kind of like another father figure in that way. And to learn from him and everything else, it was cool. I mean, it just really was. And now we try to like respect that and carry on those traditions as well.
3: It's so important to do. That's awesome that you've had that opportunity, even though you didn't start hunting until later in life to, to have that impression because that historical perspective of, you know, where things came from, how they used to be and, and where things are at now are really important, especially when it comes to, You know, public policy stuff that surrounds natural natural resources, hunting, fishing. You know, forest management. um, You name it. it, it, To have that historical perspective is so critical in making really good decisions for the future.
2: And I mean, that's a huge thing of what you do as well. Which I'm, which there's no introduction there. I guess we'll just roll into it. You're 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 a forester. I mean, you do a lot with forestry programs and habitat and planning for the future of habitat is crucial for grouse and crucial for all species really but grouse grouse as well
3: yeah absolutely i'm I'm a i'm a consulting forester i have a degree in forestry from purdue university unfortunately they had lost the other night i was actually sitting in wisconsin watching the game but uh anyhow um it it um i i help private landowners and assist private landowners primarily with a whole host of forest management practices in the end i'm a field forester i'm i'm out there you know painting trees and planting trees and and spraying invasive plants and species and and doing chainsaw work Uh, that that's my love i'm really connected to the land and um but I, i i do a great deal in advocating for uh forest management and healthy forest in indiana um, and 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 helping out with public policy decisions and guiding public policy decisions here as well so um it's it's a true passion to me the the, the forestry is uh, it's I'm just as passionate about it if not more than you know upland bird hunting so
2: and i mean that can tell i mean, i've followed you on instagram for a while now a couple of years at least and you've got some excellent posts out there on different habitat stuff and things along those lines. And it seems like there, you just have a very a, a big wealth of knowledge when it comes to those practices. And you're, you're very vocal in a good way of making sure that the habitat is addressed now as with grouse and other things. I mean, you have to be cutting in order to approve habitat because it's got a, a old, old forest does, isn't, isn't for birds, right?
3: Well, you know, there are there there's there's birds that that depend on old forest and there's birds that depend on young forest and then there's generalists that depend on diverse forest and so sure. um it, 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 it's all about balance in the end. We we need a little bit of all of it. I mean, I can think of, you know, a, a specific spot, one of my favorite spots um, that I grouse hunt and woodcock hunt in Michigan. And we purposely hunt it in in the evening and get back to the truck as as the sun's going down and the reason for it is is the grouse are hanging out in a mature red oak stand and if the acorns are are coming down um then then you're catching them out there in the wide open in in a a red oak stand in the evening while they're feeding and um and so so it's important but what's neat about that is that that mature red oak stand adjoins a young mixed aspen stand and then also a creek bottom and so you know you'll have all all different types of habitat coming together, and that's that's critical.
2: Sure, sure. They have the breed. They they have the nest. Not nesting. They have the they have the roost area, the cover. They've got the wetland area for temperatures and stuff like. I mean, because that's one thing I always think about as I've learned more is how important wetlands really can be to grouse hunting as well. Like a lot of people, when I first started like wetlands, I'm like, I'm a big woodcock hunter. I'm like, Oh, wetlands. But I never really put that piece together until much later that like the lowlands and the wetlands and the swamps can play huge roles for grouse habitat.
3: Yeah. Those, you know, when it comes to, comes to those areas, uh, whether it's a tag or swamp or uh, um, a, a Creek bottom, uh what what's neat about that uh, you know uh, a lot of that's dictated by beaver activity and so um those beavers aren't always going to stay there so there'll be times that that stuff floods and dies off and then and then and then the beavers leave and and the waterway opens up and it drains back out and guess what happens it turns back into to young young successional uh forest again eventually but then it'll flood again and so it's kind of in that perpetual state of of young forest habitat and that's that's what's important
0: fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish it's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home it's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever and with fishing booker you can experience it too no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker.
4: This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more.
2: It's, this just seems, I mean, the picture there just seems like hard, like for me to grasp. I mean, I understand like the diverse habitats, I understand have different age cuts and things like that. But when it comes to trying to manage that, like, or even like, just look at it from a bigger picture, it's like, wow, I have no idea what's going
3: on. <laughs> I'll admit it. <laughs> well, that's the, you're not the only one when it, when it comes to the forestry stuff, a lot, well, I was about to say most, but a, a, a lot of hunters, um, understand the importance of forest management um, understand that that it is needed to create habitat uh, for for these birds or other game species um, but they don't understand all the planning that goes into it and execution and what all is involved with it and so you know it can be especially on public lands that can be a very very long process. Um, you know, the, it starts with, you know, uh, tons and tons of inventory data. So we know exactly, you know, what we have out there on the landscape at, at, in, in regards to forest. And then you, you're looking at that inventories um, and you're analyzing that data. And from that, you're developing management plans. And often these management plans, it's it's not like row crops where we're, we're looking at this for one year. We're looking at this for decades and uh, and and so it's it's a very involved process with a lot of a lot of thought um and, and then and then to to execute it on public lands is even even more difficult um you know you have public review processes environmental review processes there's all these hoops to jump through before you can finally actually get some habitat on the ground and manage it and so um, I think that most people don't know what all what all it takes behind the scenes to actually get this stuff done. And that's why it's so important to advocate for it is and and get your voice heard when when there's opportunities to dictate public policy. Um, that that is what is so important about, um, you know, forest management is a long term thing a lot that goes into it. There's a lot of planning and it takes a lot to, to actually execute it. And that's because all the scrutiny from, for, from people that, that don't necessarily agree with forest management or understand it or want to understand it. And so um, because of that, we have to go through all those processes.
2: I've seen, I'm trying to remember where it was, if it was Northern Wisconsin or Northern Michigan, I think it might've been the UP. They had a lot of signs out on the public land in the national forest and other things that said this healthy forest is done by forestry, is, is um created by cutting and forestry practices. And it seemed like they had a really big campaign. I think it was UP, I'm trying to remember, but it seemed like they had a really big campaign going on up there saying this is why we cut trees, this is why we manage our forests, and it's it's to create healthier forests. Yeah, which I thought was a unique way to do it because i don't remember seeing that in the past I, I mean you hear people i've heard people before oh i can't believe they cut this i can't believe they did that but it's like we always talk about habitat and habitat takes maintenance and maintenance is going to be cutting areas at certain times why they cut that area i don't know you would know you'd probably be like oh they cut that for this type of planning bub but but for me i just know and i hope that there's people in our state and the states that i hunt that have the knowledge that you do and hearing about the review process, it gives me a little bit of faith that they are looking at a long-term picture.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, the the folks that are especially managing, you know, public lands that most of grouse and woodcock hunting takes place on, um, they're very connected to that resource and, and, and they have all the training in the world to take care of it. And it they, they take it on as if it's their own and they treat it as if it's their own. And so the best thing is to leave those those management decisions in the hands on the, of those boots on the ground natural resource um, managers. Uh, they know that resource better than anybody else. Um, they have all the data. They've reviewed all the data. They've been out on on the ground, and um, and and they have a plan in place. And that plan is certainly going to be sustainable. They want to continue to have their jobs in the future, and <laughs> you know. <it's> just- <laughs> Just like loggers or the timber industry, they 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 want this to be sustainable because uh, they want it. They want the industry to flop, thrive for forever. So,
2: right. I mean, they can't. I mean, if they're not careful, like logging, if you're not careful in your practices, there. I mean, you could cut yourself literally right out of a job. I mean, you could just decimate your entire career path.
3: That's right. So my point is, that there's no incentive to to do this in a way that is. Uh, you know damaging an ecosystem or in a way that it isn't sustainable that there's there's just no incentive for that
2: and that makes sense i mean that makes sense a lot and and you're right there are the people on the ground that do have the knowledge and there's the ones that i'm going to trust in people like you but people for like the state and different i'm sure there's different i'm sure Rough grouse society has people on the ground as well and think and different nonprofits. i would I mean, cause they're always talking about habitat and everything else. So it makes sense that they would provide input when, when possible.
3: Yeah. That brings up a good point about input. Most of these, most of these uh, uh, restoration forest restoration or timber harvest on public land um, re- require public input. And so there's commenting periods. And so it's very important that if you if you want to continue to see quality habitat on the ground in your state that, that you get involved and make sure you you drop your comments in when when appropriate um, there should be organizations like rough grouse society or other uh uh, forestry organizations within the state that you can get that information from if, if, if you don't go to the Department of Forestry, you know, uh, directly and say, hey, I would like to know about commenting periods and, and can you make me aware of those so that I can comment on them? Um, the, the, the reason I have dug so deep on all of this is, is, you know, I grew up grouse hunting here in Southern Indiana. And, um, you know, that was in the 90s and you know a good day of grouse hunting you can move 12 to 15 birds in a day here um now that's a bad day in some states uh right but that was that was pretty good grouse hunting for indiana and you know like i said that was in the 90s that that we could do that and in 2020 um the the bird was listed as state in state endangered i had a big role in that i pu- pushed the natural resource commission uh, to make that rule change and, and make the rough grouse state endangered, to bring some attention to it. Um, and, and that's a very short time period to, to go from having a healthy, sustainable, huntable population of grouse to none. And it, has, it is primarily due to pressure from those opposed to forest management and a shift in policy policy and managing our, our public lands here in Indiana. And so I say this as a warning to other States that continue to have good hunting, you you get on the ball now, because in Indiana, what happened is we, as we, we waited too long. And, and now we're to the point where there may no be, there may be no return. so.
2: So for someone like me, that doesn't know what he's looking at, he doesn't understand forestry management planning, things like that. How would you suggest we go about in the commenting period to like be effective and be an advocate for the grouse, for the woodcock and for deer, for every, like, how would you suggest like someone like me, like, what do I need to have as a basic understanding so I can have beneficial input or what what part of like my state forestry people, like, should I look at to know what they're doing to say, yes, we're moving forward and not backwards?
3: Well, typically, they'll share that management plan and what they're going to do and, and, and review it. Um, a lot of it you're not going to understand, but there's going to be things as a grouse hunter you're going to understand out of it. And advocate for what you want. Um, you know, say I, I encourage timber harvesting, support timber harvesting, period, and, and then go into specific about supporting the creation of, of young forest habitat and, and support having diverse for, forests. Um, I always, I always use the term, um, we want to have a diversity of age classes. Okay. So we want to have young forest. We want to have old forest and we want to have everything in between. And due to the lack of, of natural disturbances on the landscape anymore, the only way to accomplish that is through managing the forest. You know, in, in the past we had, um, you know, tornadoes, fires, wildfires, uh, beaver activity. I mean, there was even, you know, buffaloes and passenger pigeons had, had, um, you know, a role in disturbing the forest. And, and we've, we've moved away. The disturbance is less prevalent. Uh, We've suppressed wildfire. Um, And so a lot of those things are gone now. And it's our responsibility to step forward and do that. But back to the, the, to commenting and to give you a more direct answer. I think one of the best ways to do that is to get involved with an organization that is in the know lots of times they will help you guide your comment comments on specific uh specific topics specific projects and and specific harvest Um, because yeah like you said you, you you don't have a background in it you don't know the specifics so it can be intimidating to even try to prepare a try to prepare a comment and whether you know or not it makes a difference so you know join 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 a forestry organization or a wildlife organization or or a um organization um like the rough grouse society that that is in the know and has experts that can kind of break break it down for you um we're we're, we're all a lot of the ngos and conservation organizations are all working together on issues like that i know we do here in indiana um we even formed myself i formed a co- coalition. Of forestry and conservation organizations, just for that purpose of networking, sharing ideas, uh, keeping uh, uh, people abreast, each other abreast of what's going on at the state house and within the natural resource commission. And um, now we don't let, we don't let much slip by us and, and we come together. Sometimes we have sign on letters where multiple organizations will sign on to a letter and submit comments. Sometimes we ask people to do it individually. It all depends on the situation. And so being engaged and involved with those types of organization is going to keep you in the know and give you the knowledge that you need to, to make these comments.
2: And that's good. I mean, that 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 makes sense because it's not my day job. I don't on what I'm doing. The last thing I want to do is make a comment that actually isn't what I want, right? Because I want the force to be healthy, diverse age classes, like you said, makes perfect sense. I mean but I don't want to make a comment that is completely against what I, cause I think I'm working out the right direction. I think, Oh, we want to do it. That makes sense. I support this plan when in really, cause I don't understand the plan. I'm actually commenting against everything I believe in. Cause I don't understand what I'm looking at.
3: Yeah. It, you can actually, yeah, that's exactly right. It, it, it can get, it can get twisted and you, without knowing the background, many a times, um, just the background and the politics behind something, um, uh, could could be to your detriment when you're, you're making a comment like that if you're not in the know. Another thing I would suggest is, you know, get involved with your your Department of Natural Resource um, um, uh, leaders and administrators um, and, and don't just talk at them. Like, see what you can do to help them. Sometimes, you know, they need help on policy issues in the state house that they are uh, supporting or have developed. And there's opportunities to go testify at the state house. Uh, all of a sudden, they, they see you as a partner. You know, I, I realized when I started doing that, testifying on behalf of them and supporting them on certain issues, I don't have to support them on everything. That's not what I'm saying. But right, showing, right. showing that support on individual issues with them and having their backs, all of a sudden, they're calling me and asking me my opinion on on items before they even jump into them. And so getting involved with your, your natural resource staff is really important too.
2: And that makes sense. I mean, that's, I mean, their job, like you said for the forestry division and that, I mean, their job is to look out for the habitat, look out for the forest, create healthy forests. Um, It's actually kind of like wildfires, a huge thing. I mean, I didn't know this. I, I didn't realize this until I actually moved out to California and we were at one of the state or one of the national parks and they were talking about, um, how big of a role forest fire actually plays there on the sequo- I think it's the sequoia trees like the Sequoia trees only drop seeds during a fire like it takes the heat for the seed pods to open.
3: Yeah there's a, st- yep there's a lot of fire dependent species out there, but you know both wildlife and and vegetation. and so yeah it's it's critical. Um, so, um, it, you know, Smokey the Bear campaign has been one of the most successful advertising campaigns in, in the history of man. And, mm-hmm. and and now we're finding out a, lo- a lot of it has been to our detriment. You know, of course, we don't want raging wildfires. Right. But right. Pres- prescribed fire is an excellent tool for, for managing habitats, something that happens to benefit. You know rough grouse and american woodcock uh, uh, as well as a whole host of other games bird game bird species and songbird species so um yeah it, it it it's taken that long um to teach people that fire is a bad thing. It's going to take a while to get people used to the idea that, Hey, we, we, we need fire, but I think we're getting there. Um, you know, you, you're seeing more and more and, and, in, in the media about it. And uh, I, I think people are beginning to have their eyes open. So.
2: And I even, even locally here, um, there's a, there's plenty of natural areas. We've got, I've got state land even just outside of where I'm at, which is a major city in Wisconsin. I actually saw, qu- I see quite, a few more um, prescribed burns. I, okay. I saw quite a few on some bigger areas last year, which actually shocked me that they were starting to manage that way, which is good. I, I'm 100% for it because I'm for I'm for quality habitat. So to see them come out on these lands and in an area which I wouldn't say normally politically would be in agreement with that type of management practice, I'm, I'm actually excited to see it. it. It shows that there is more knowledge the knowledge is getting passed to the people that it needs to be, and that they're starting to take these habitat, even in this more city area, a little more seriously.
3: Yeah, that the, you mentioned something really important. That's that that educational piece to that. That that it, that is critical. We have to have that that education and outreach from folks like myself and other natural resource professionals um, to go along with this, so that public knows what's going on. Um, one of the greatest examples of what fire can do is is there in in northwestern wisconsin uh where you guys still have some wild sharptails left um those landscapes up there are completely depend, dependent fire dependent and that that bird that sharptail grouse is completely dependent on that 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 fire adapted landscape um and so Um, you know, that, that's a, that's a perfect example. There's a couple organizations that are doing some great work up there trying to make sure that, that they can expand the sharp-tailed grouse range and connect, connect isolated pieces of habitat. And um, so I applaud what's going on up there in in Northwest Wisconsin, for sure.
2: seems like there's a big push in the past year that I've noticed for that area, because I've learned a lot. I know, there's now a Wisconsin Sharptail Grouse Society. I think that yeah. if that isn't relatively new, it started to get a lot more traction and a lot more publicity in the past year. So it's either new or now they're really focused on trying to get the word out. I didn't have, I've never been up in that area. Um, I had no idea what that barren landscape was like until, that, until I started to follow that page and saw the difference in the habitat. And it, it blew my mind. Like, it's so different
3: yeah it's like you're in a different world it's like you're not even in wisconsin right especially being that far north um and and i know a couple guys that have done some great work with with that organization and uh they deserve a lot of credit because they have made a a big push they've been around for a while but in the last two years they've really made a big push and i i really applaud that that is awesome conservation effort
2: and that's it's and it's great because I've always known that that bird was on the decline in Wisconsin. I really didn't know how to help it necessarily. And and now that there are these organizations, that being one of them, and I'm, I'm a supporter of it now. And um, it, it's just amazing. It's, it's, it's something I don't want to see, like what you said in Indiana. Like, I don't want that to happen here in Wisconsin. And I know, I believe Minnesota still has a good population of sharptails, but I don't want Wisconsin to lose theirs. I don't want to lose what's a native species to Wisconsin.
3: Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, it's to the it had gotten to the point where they were wondering if if there was enough genetic variability for the the population to continue to survive. So, but that's a great example of 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 hunters and conservationists just wrapping their minds around something, putting their hearts into something, and going after it and and making sure it happens. That is the level of conservation effort that it takes from us as hunters to actually make. A difference. And so it's, I say this lots of times and it may not be popular, but it is not enough just to buy a hunting license. It is not enough to just go attend a banquet for a conservation organization. Get out there and get your hands dirty. I mean, the the, the wildlife that we pursue really deserves that at the very, very least.
2: I agree. I I mean, that that's very well said i don't even know how to add anything to that because it's our job as hunters to be to be good stewards right i mean we don't want Every At least all the hunters I know, and and yeah, a lot of hunters go through that phase where limits are the main thing. I went through it with duck when I was a duck hunter, man. The only thing I cared about was getting a limit, right? And now that's completely changed because now I'm like habitat. I want to make sure there's ducks for the future. Same for grouse. I want to make sure we have good forestry practice. Even though I don't know what that practice is, I want to make sure we have good forestry practice to make sure there are grouse in the future. I want to make sure now that, now that I've seen so much more about the sharptail, I want to make sure that they get the focus and the support they need so they can continue to move these practices so we don't lose that bird from the state. I mean, there's more to it than just, you're right, going to a banquet or throwing a little bit or buying your hunting licenses. Um, there's ways to be vocal or support organizations that have the ability to be vocal.
3: Absolutely. Um, it's, it's just, it's absolutely imperative to, to do that. And I, I, I once had that blood lust too, uh, that you're talking about, about chasing limits and that kind of thing. Um, but you know, now for me, it's, it's more about, uh, being with friends, uh, being, being out in nature and, um, and more importantly, enjoying, enjoying the dog work, um, it's just uh, that's that's my release from from my regular work and the regular world. So that's that's where I that's where I find peace.
2: And I I sign off on all my episodes now. It took me a while to figure out how to sign off, but it finally came to me. And it's ch- keep chasing that experience. Yeah, and really that that's really what it is to me is it's the experience. It's not, and it's not just harvesting an animal like that's just a small piece of the experience. And I don't need that piece. To have an amazing experience anymore, because to me, it's everything. It's the dog work. It's the beauty in nature. It's the companionship with friends. It's the traditions you carry on. It's those experiences that you would never have unless if you were out in the outdoors doing something. It's not just sitting in front of a computer. It's not sitting in front of your TV. It's, it's even waking up in the morning and going for a hike, a sunrise hike on some state land locally with my camera and just watching the world wake up. I mean, all of that can easily be shown like through like hunting. I mean, it hunting is far more than like the, the shooting of a bird or an animal to me. It's that whole entire experience
3: you're, you, you couldn't be more spot on. I mean, th- those are my, my thoughts exactly on it. And, and in fact, I'd, I'll share this with you. I, you know, um, my dad, I watched my dad work real hard his like his whole life. He, um, you know, did his best to get me out hunting as much as possible, which he did a great job of it. Um, and, and, but, you know, he had this idea that, you know, when he retired, then he was going to get to go out and chase those experiences that he wanted to. Well, because of his health and some injuries he had in his life, he doesn't get around very good. And 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 in retirement, he's, he's been barely able to, to get out and, and, and bird hunt with me. And so I kind of realized that I sat down with my hunting buddies um, about three years ago and I said, okay, here's the deal. We used to we used to have, have grouse camp in Michigan every single year. And um, that was just our thing. That's what was going to happen. That's how we were going to get together and spend our time. And we still get up to Michigan. But what we decided three years ago is we're going to we're gonna pick a new state, a new species, and we're just going to go do it. And we're going to go do it on public land. We're not going to be guided. We're just going to go into the unknown. We're going to experience the local culture. We're going to experience the different habitat. We're going to try to figure out how to find these birds. And, man, it's been the best decision we could have made as a group. Um, it's take, taken a little bit more coordination and stuff to get it done and work to get it done, but the, the reward is so wonderful. So we started a, a couple years back with uh, North Dakota, um, which was an awesome experience um, hunting the prairie birds. And then um, last last year, we spent a couple weeks down in Arizona um, chasing, chasing uh, three different species of quail, and and this coming year we're going to try to get after some sage grouse possibly in wyoming or montana and so uh the anticipation of those of those hunts and the planning that goes into them um it it's just it's wonderful and and i know that i'm going to get to experience it while i'm still healthy and able and financially capable of uh, of supporting my 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 habit my addiction. So.
2: <laughs> it's it's funny you say that that you've kind of changed it up and started doing things like that because it's actually a perspective I've been looking at more, especially after starting this podcast. Because this podcast has introduced me to whole different areas of hunting uh, from guys that are in like uh, Montana, Arizona, California, Utah. Washington like all these people are like if you ever make it out here look me up we'll get out we'll get out with our dogs and it's like and it's really got me to the point now where it's like when I get a new dog because Pippa being 10 I just it's really not fair she's she's she deserves an easy life of retirement now right like I'm not going to take her to Arizona and run her in terrain like that anymore things along those lines but when I am able to change my stable up um when she unfortunately passes which is a thing all hunt, all dog owners have to go through which i don't wish upon even my worst enemy cuz it's just a terrible experience because they're such a pivotal part of your life and so many experiences and memories but when that day does come And I've got a new dog, and that's actually something I'm looking to make the change to of making sure I do get one trip a year to a different area for even a different species. And then once I'm out of species, hunting a different, hunting a same species in a completely different state or area, even.
3: Yeah. It, it's just, I, I highly recommend it. it. It is so rewarding and, and you just, you learn things, you get to see pieces of the country because of our dogs and these birds, you get to see places you would never, ever think of going to or have the opportunity to go and see. And so that is uh man, that's a true blessing to, to, to be able to to do that. And I highly encourage it for everyone. I mean, it can be, it can even involve discipline and and changes in your life, like health changes. I mean, some of those hunts are really challenging physically. It may require you to lose a few pounds and put in some exercise and prepare in ways that you wouldn't other, other way otherwise challenge yourself. So I think it's an awesome thing.
2: This episode is brought to you by Visit
0: Williamsburg.
2: absolutely I mean talking to some of the guys out west the miles they cover and the terrain they're in I'm like who man that's nothing <laughs> like what I'm used to I better I mean I try to stay semi-healthy I try to I, I take my dogs out quite a I dogs I take my dog out quite a bit and walk I, I do that but I am not in the physical shape I would want to be in before a trip like that and could yeah. I do it sure would I probably be miserable at the end of the day yep I don't wanna be miserable. I wanna put the time in before I go out there to make sure I am physically capable to actually enjoy it rather than just push through it.
3: Yeah, absolutely. But that's, that's awesome. So where, where are you going this year then? Um, either either Wyoming or Montana, we have not decided it yet. Um, it takes a lot of research and dialing things in, and I'm not one that wants to to ask somebody for for a starting point even. I, I wanna do the research um, and figure it out on my own. And the reason for that is it makes things so much more rewarding when you are successful. And um, I can't emphasize that enough to people take the time to do all the research on your own, figure it out. The information's out there. It just takes time. Um, and so, um, we're trying to decide whether to, to pin it down to Montana um or wyoming the goal will be to try to get everybody a, a sage grouse and then from there chase some of the other birds that are available primarily huns and and sharptails um, and in in wyoming the sage grouse seasons the last two weeks of september and then montana it's the entire month of september so there's things to consider weather wise there too and, and and a lot of other factors so we haven't quite honed it in yet, but it won't be too long because you're going to have to start booking places and that sort of thing. Make sure you have places to stay and all those sorts of things. So,
2: right? Have you hunted huns before?
3: I have in in North Dakota. Yeah, they're crazy. They're I, I love I, covey. I've birds. heard. Yeah, I love covey birds. Um. You know, I grew up quail hunting here in, in Indiana, and I still do, um, lots of people will tell you there aren't birds here in Indiana. There's still birds in here in Indiana. Access isn't great to them, but where there's habitat, there are birds. Um, you know, I can, I can get somebody out on a quail hunt here in Indiana and we'll find five to seven coveys of quail in a day. Um, those huns are a lot like, a lot like, uh, Bob White's, except the huns run uh, considerably more um and uh man just to see those type of covey birds like that on the prairie is a it's a neat experience so.
2: huns are on my list huns and quail i've never i've never got to experience actually hunting wild coveys of anything like that i've shot i've planted quail which those don't count i mean that's not even a covey right i mean those are a dog that's for dog training there's not, and there's nothing against people that like Preserve hunts, that's fine. That's your thing. But I I prefer chasing birds in the wild. And if I want to go hunt quail, I want to I want to bust a covey. I don't want to kick up a single bird. That's not now unless unless if you busted a covey and then you go back and go back for smaller groups, then that's different. I get that. Like, but I really Huns and Quail are definitely high on my list. I mean, those are the things I look forward to when when it gets to that point in time. I look forward to all those new experiences.
3: There's nothing like a covey rise uh, and you know people describe it, uh, uh, it as covey panic uh, you know you'd think it'd be it could be easy but uh, most people it takes them a while to figure out how to shoot Covey birds because you see a you see you see a covey of birds get up you pull up your shotgun and shoot and forget that you have to pick out a single bird. But you got wings in your face and dogs going everywhere, birds going everywhere, and, and it could be difficult to, to figure out how to shoot cubby birds. So it's 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 tough. So I I
2: can believe that completely because I see that in new duck hunters where they just pull up and there's and they start flock shooting. I'm like, you gotta pick a bird, you gotta I know it's hard slow down i know you don't think you can there's more time than what you think and i know i'll make all these mistakes when i first start hunting these birds i know it and i'll have to go back and be like you tell new hunters this all the time you got to listen to your own advice slow down pick a bird to make a good shot yeah but you know,
3: that the good thing about that is that failure again makes makes success in the end all that more enjoyable um you know uh, T- today, uh, you know, especially with the mapping apps and and stuff like that, and social media, um, you know, it, it's kind of that it want everybody kind of wants that instant success. When I when I first started grouse hunting, you know, almost thirty five years ago, I had a compass, a topo map, and a dog with a bell on its collar. I mean that that is it, and some walking boots, you know and there was no i mean you were going into the complete unknown and it took a long time to figure out how to be successful at it but once i was successful at it then all those troubles all those failures all that hard work man that made made it so sweet and so enjoyable uh and so impressionable i just i encourage everybody to kind of get back to those roots
2: I agree. I mean, technology is great. I I still try to keep things as simple as possible, especially grouse hunting. I always have a compass on me. I don't, I trust all my electronics. I still use electronics. I'm not saying I don't, but I always have a compass on me. I pay attention which way the road was heading when I walked in so I can get back to the road, things like that. Cause I'm always not paranoid, but I want to make sure I make it out of the woods. And even in the north woods of wisconsin as long as you can walk in a single direction and you have general idea of the area you're in by looking at a map eventually you're going to hit a body of water or another logging road as long as you can keep walking straight it's if you start walking in circles is when you're really going to get yourself in trouble
3: yeah you better take note and know which way that stream was flowing when you were walking in (laughs) make sure you're going the opposite way and 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 i'm not, I'm not knocking the technology. I utilize all of it myself. My dogs have electronics on them. You know, I have, I have the mapping apps and, and, and all that. And I use them in my forestry business all the time. And so it's a great tool. Just, just be willing to put in that time and, and you'll find that the reward is all that much greater.
2: And, and I know, I know where you're going with that. It wasn't a knock against technology, but There are hunts I go on where in areas where I'm very comfortable that I will leave some of that at home. I mean, I'll make sure my dogs are safe always. I always make sure I'm running some sort of collars. As I I run GPS collars now because in case she would ever bolt for some reason, who knows what happened. I want to make sure she comes home at the end of the day. I don't want to be sitting there leaving a kennel in my jacket out where my truck was parked, hoping she makes it back to it. Like, that's not a feeling. I, I don't think I can emotionally go through that well. (laughs) <laughs> I've so, been
3: I've been there. I've had to leave a uh, hunt and vest at the at the parking spot and luckily the next morning uh, that was our very first Brittany um he was he liked to chase deer and we didn't have e collars or at least reliable e collars and and that day um, and so, um, luckily he was laying, he was laying on that vest when we got back the next morning to, to pick him up. So, and, and you're right, that's the um, man, what a better, what a better insurance policy than a, than a tracking collar.
2: We ran into that up North this past year, we were walking into a grouse cover and we heard, a we started to hear a beeper collar off in the distance. I'm like, eh, let's go somewhere else. And the beeper kept getting closer and closer. I'm like, this is weird. Like this dog is coming straight at us and you can hear someone way in the distance with an occasional whistle. I'm like, all right, let's get back to the car. Cause I already know my dog doesn't like other random new dogs. So we got our, our dogs kenneled up and all of a sudden here comes this, this English pointer bolting out of the woods, looking at us like, Hey, where am I? Yeah. Like, uh, I'm not just leaving this dog. So this dog basically ran like we just like, well, let's just start walking down the road and figure out where this guy was. And we actually ran into him. He was heading back to his truck. And from the way he told us he went in, this dog was a solid mile away from him. Yeah. Which, which in the grouse woods, in the north woods, it was I, I know a mile up for those guys out west mean nothing like their dogs range a mile in the woods up north. That's a long ways away
3: yeah uh, through that cover it's it's incredible i think of an example i, I uh, a friend of mine um just got into bird hunting a few years ago through me introducing it to him um come to think of it all the guys i regularly bird hunt with i introduced them to bird hunting which is pretty rewarding in and of of itself but um and, and i got a pretty unique clan of guys that, that i hunt with core core group of guys that i hunt with but he um he, he he just loved grouse hunting from the get go. And, and he decided he was going to get a dog. But, uh, you know, he's an executive, he doesn't and has three children didn't necessarily have the time for his first dog to to do a bunch of training. So he decided he was going to buy a, uh, it was like a nine or 10 year old Nastra dog had it, it run the Nastra circuit for years and years and been really successful as a pointer. And, um, I'm going to tell a couple stories about this dog just cause he's so, so entertaining, but you know, the first, the first run we had him out on, um, it, it, my buddy, Joe had only had him for two weeks. And so they really had no connection. Like sure. here he is setting them loose in the North woods and that dog wasn't going to listen to Joe for nothing. Well, we're watching, we're watching the, the, uh, the, the screen of the tracking collar of the handheld and he's at 200 yards and he's at 400 yards and before we know it this dog's out 1400 yards you know and <laughs> in the forest <laughs> woods going going through tag alder swamps and beaver <laughs> ponds and aspen thickets that you name it he said i'm just gonna have to go get him because he wasn't stopping we kind of saw he'd gotten into a creek bottom we we're assuming he was bouncing around on birds and found birds and that type of thing but um he woods came out or uh joe came out of the woods and he was bleeding his shirt was ripped i mean he was sweating he had taken he had taken his vest off and i, I it, he, it was a mess i mean it looked like he had literally gotten in a fight and that dog looked happy as heck on the lead you know <laughs> he, he healed real really well he's like what i do wrong you know if you set me loose to hunt i'm out here uh, out here hunting but i'll tell another quick story about that dog it's it's it's, uh, something that's uh, enjoyable so that dog had run nastra and and for years and years and years he'd become really conditioned um so we sent him out the first time and like within 30 minutes he just went back to the truck and sat at the truck and we're like this is really strange you know um he had hunted some some quail and grouse as a real young pup um but we started paying attention and I finally figured it out because I belong to a club. That's prim- primarily NASTRA guys. And, um, and that's national shoot to retrieve for anybody that doesn't, doesn't know. Um, but that dog, we'd set him loose and you'd watch, you'd watch the, the GPS and he'd make like four clover loop, like four, four uh, leaves of a clover, you know, big loops out there and maybe make a few more casts after that. And it, 30 minutes on the dot, that dog would be back of the truck sitting, looking at you like, I did a good job, didn't I, boss? Well, what it was is that's how they encouraged them to run run the the trial fields. And so he and and their braces are 30 minutes. And so he he was so proud of himself, thought he was just doing great work. It took quite a while to get him, you know, used to operating in a different way. And and he turned out to be a really great dog. We lost him last year, but um, but just had some awesome memorable hunts with him.
2: That's awesome. And I know there's a lot of people that don't agree with buying started dogs or finished dogs or anything like that, but I i i am am a, I'm a hundred percent for it. I really am. I've had conversations on this show before, because if you don't have the time to train it, there's no, no, there's nothing wrong with buying a dog that someone else trained or taking a dog to training, as long as you get to continue to enjoy the outdoors, like there's people that love dog training that are super passionate about it. I love dog training, but if I don't have the time to do it, there I have no there's I'm not too proud to take my dog somewhere for help to make sure the dog is safe and has and is trained and is a good experience for everyone.
3: Yeah, I tell you you know watching my buddy um, and how the loss of that dog affected him. It made no difference to him, whether it was a dog that he had started with or, or somebody else had started, you know, in the end, it, it was a dog that was loved and got to do what he wanted to do. And my buddy supported that. And so um, they all need homes and uh, they all need to be uh, chasing their passions, just like we like to chase our passions.
2: So. And I actually there's a show that touched base quite a bit on this. And I'll, I'm going to say it again because I don't want people to get the wrong idea just because a dogs a washout for field trials or something like that. The- doesn't mean that it's a bad dog it's probably more dog than a weakened hunter whatever like need actually it's just because they can't take the pressure of what that circles different circuits need
3: yeah it could be something as minor as tail set uh, how they set their tail or uh you know don't quite run uh big and quite big enough i mean there's all kinds of little things that the field trialers are trying to develop the best of the best you know right and- and so just because a dog has a a tail that's a little low (laughs) doesn't make him a bad hunting dog and so i you're 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 spot on with that um and and you should want to have a dog that was bred um, to meet high standards which those dogs are i mean these guys aren't going to breed dogs i don't field trial but these guys aren't going to breed dogs that that um aren't bred to a, a very very high standard that's the name of the game
2: Right. I mean, they're looking for perfection for the trial that they're doing. And you're right. There's so many different things that can go into what can or can't make that dog. But those dogs are incredible.
3: They really are. Yeah, they are. They, they really, really are.
2: It's been great talking to you. I mean, we're right at that hour mark. So this conversation actually worked out perfect. time am in there. I, I think ending on a dog note, it's always a high note in my opinion. Um, Absolutely. Leave the next couple of minutes so people can get in touch with you. Um, let them know your Instagram. You can let them know if they're in Indiana and they have forestry questions or maybe want to hire you as a consultant. Let them know your business name. Just let just just put it all out there.
3: Yeah. The best way to reach me is uh, uh, through my email. If you're interested in, in hiring me for any of my forestry services, it's psforestry at yahoo.com um i'm not big into promoting myself on instagram i look at using that in different ways but with that said uh come over and visit i do put some forestry stuff on there it's funny i i started that page with my business in mind and then it and then it got no traction and the second i posted a picture of a dog on there next thing you know i have followers and so <laughs> a lot of the stuff on there is, is bird dog stuff our adventures our trips um so that's um at sight singer underscore forestry underscore llc um on instagram so um and i'll uh,
2: post the links for everyone here so it's easy to find thank you absolutely any final thoughts
3: um Just be an advocate for for forest management in your state. Um, Use Indiana as an example and as a cautionary tale to how quickly things can change and go downhill. You wanna be out in front of of these issues and and not look back like we have had to in Indiana with regrets. So get involved in conservation efforts, get your hands dirty, get involved in, in policy issues. Um, that's the best thing you can do to, to be a good steward and s- give back to the resource that we do take from. So a life that has the stories to back it, a life to be
0: proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. Six, eight Western. I'll be over there,
1: baby.
2: Right there.
0: Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. Those well,
2: there's some strong parting words in a good way. I mean, habitat's everything. Habitat management and being involved i like it i like it a lot thanks again for coming on it's been great i appreciate it thanks again to all my lit- listeners for tuning in and until next time keep chasing that experience
1: thanks for tuning in to another killer episode here on Paddle and finn be sure to drop a five star rating a thumbs up or smash that subscribe button on any platform you're listening in on be sure to check us out on Waypoint TV, waypointtv.com. Make sure you sign up for the Fantasy Kayak Fishing League at paddleandfin.com forward slash fantasy. You could support this show through Patreon, patreon.com forward slash paddleandfin. Don't forget to check out the website paddleandfin.com, catch us on YouTube.